Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Welcome, listeners. Today we are talking with Beth Boness about dreams and poetry. Welcome, Beth. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here. Before we really dive into the topic, let's start with talking about you and how you came to be where you are in your writing journey today. I think since we're talking about poetry, I'll I'll use the poetry thread. Uh, As many people did, they started writing poetry in high school, whether we did it through an assignment or your journaling and you're writing about, you know, your lost loves, whatever that is. But I remember I went to an all-girl high school and I fell in love with Emily Dickinson and E.E. Cummings. And E.E. Cummings, it was so freeing as this Catholic girl that I could rebel by not punctuating. (laughs) There was... There was was just an incredible (laughs) amount of freedom that I got through that. How silly it was. I didn't really realize that until, you know, like a decade later (laughs) that that was my, you know, very innocent way to rebel. Rebellion. Um, Still love E.E. Cummings. Um, So I wrote poetry for, you know, and journaled for a long time. But fast forward, you know, decades, I had math was always more important in our family than writing. And so Mm. dad always Mm. said that's the most important grade. Nothing else matters. I was good math. I was good math. So I went (laughs) to computer science. Um, I did product management and uh, was in high tech and led a very stressful life working parent, as many people do. And at the age of 49, I had a bunch of strokes, which was uh, unexpected. They were unexplained. I was young. I shouldn't have had the strokes. But what it did is it gave me an opportunity to take a beat. And the writing that I had been doing, I'd worked with Hollywood, so got the screenwriting bug. So had, you know, a script in the drawer, was working on a memoir. And I thought, I want to spend more time writing. But if I want, it's going to take a long time to get a screenplay option. And I love poetry. So go back to your poetry. And those were smaller chunks. The other thing I didn't realize until I retired, and then I devoted more time, was that the fragmented nature of my brain after the strokes really lent itself to poetry. I was, I'm freeform, always have been. And um, I love that free form, the, the subconscious just kind of percolating up. And so I entered some contests and I got a chapbook that was submitted uh, that, I mean, I got a, um, won a contest. And so I got published and ironically, most of the poems were about my strokes and I didn't want to talk about my strokes. When I had my strokes, I was trying to like, you know, nothing here, nothing here, forget it. And so I just had to chuckle because now I had to talk about my strokes because you go to readings and you have to describe, you know, all of that. (laughs) So um, that was uh, kind of ironic that I eventually and I I think there was still some processing I had to do with my strokes in terms of it was not just a little broken bone that you got over with there. There were uh, there were um, more ripple flecks that came through that. So um, that's uh, I the published it came out in 2022. Um, it was during the pandemic, and um, I had other. When they did the submission, it was a freeform submission for the chapbook, but that was during Black Lives Matter and all these really serious topics. And a bunch of my poetries were on, you know, optimistic thinking. It just it felt very tone deaf. And so when I went back and saw the strokes, I thought, okay, this is something that um, has the weight that 
seemed appropriate for the time. So that was published, you know, did the whole reading circuit thing, which was very fun and have since then started a writing group, um, have uh, have a podcast, um, all kind of focusing on the creative side of people who have strokes and their relationship with their thoughts kind of before their strokes, if they can remember, and then during their strokes and after their strokes. Um, and all of those are on the under the moniker of Thought Echoes, uh, which all our thoughts ripple through time. And so the just the the fragmented nature of poetry and the strokes that just all kind of came together. So and now I'm here. And now you're here. And now I'm here. And we're so glad to have you. Thank we're you. Glad you made it here. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about poetry. The first question that you sort of or we posited together was how is poetry like dreaming? Because we wanted to specifically tie this connection between mm -hmm. dreams, the subconscious, and poetry. Mm -hmm. So give us your answer first. <laughs> so my answer, and I'll speak as a free form poet. Mm -hmm. So I, I won't I won't um, you know, uh, represent all poets, but from the free form poets, I will say there's a randomness of of dreaming. Hmm. That when you're you let your subconscious and you pay attention to it, dreams, you know, they're various schools of thought. You're mm -hmm. replaying things that happen during your day and they're just odd combinations, or you're practicing for the future. Um, young was a little bit more your message, you know, your subconscious is trying to percolate messages up to you. And since the 90s, I've been more in that camp. Hmm. Um, not that there aren't examples of dreams in all those different categories, mm -hmm. but the writing early in the morning, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but capturing those dreams, you know, if, if somebody's trying to keep a dream journal, the recommendation is keep a journal by your bed, don't have to turn the light on, just scribble a couple words when you remember those fragments so that you can try to recreate the dream in the morning. And I just think that the subconscious is rich and very active at night, very active at night. And so when you wake up and you have a glimpse of a dream, it could be an image, a smell, a sound, some randomness. There's just kind of magic that happens for me if I just go with it. Mm -hmm. um, I know Ray Bradbury talked about, I think it was his book, uh, The Zena Writing. Um, but it was funny. One time I was looking at somebody had listed all the different books you write, you know, or all the different books um, on writing. And I thought, Stephen King, you know, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And, oh, I don't have that one from <laughs> Ray Bradbury. And I loved him as a kid. I just loved um, his short stories. And he had a, a show that started with his writing studio, whether it was really his writing studio or just the can, you know, prop, but he would pick a prop and then the story would go off on that prop. Hmm. And when he talked about his writing journey, he'd say, I think it was Monday morning, whatever pop percolated up from his subconscious, he would start a story on Monday and it would be submitted on Saturday. Wow. And that was that was his cadence. Um, but in there he sprinkled, so I was impressed, you know, yeah. that he did a short story mm -hmm. every day. But he was trying yeah. to support his family um, too, which eventually he did. And but he talked about reading poetry, that everybody should read poetry every mm -hmm. day because of the way poets create these images and these of this just this provocative juicy bit with so few words and little snippets. And that just seemed like a delightful way to spend time, you know, um, mm -hmm. to be able to do that with dreaming. So this, the subconscious, you know, like I said, is really active. I joke that when I was writing the my screenplay, which is about subconscious personalities, <laughs> but I would wake up 
when I, I woke up with a snippet of a dream, which was in the customer conference room, all my subconscious personalities were like having a reading, a meeting, and they were making so much noise, I couldn't go to sleep. And so in the dream, I barge into this room saying, can you please keep it quiet so that I can sleep, you know, do your activity, but I need to go back to sleep. Um, and so that image has kind of kept with me that it's not, it's me, but it's me in different personified ways that are randomly talking to each other at night. And so my being able to get a glimpse of that in the morning um, is just delightful. That is really cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a poet, but I, I, for me, I feel like I can see that, like you're saying the, um, that's to me how I see poetry and dreaming as similar is like, I do have very vivid dreams and, um, and, and I think that's, that's what poetry is supposed to do is to provide you a vivid mm -hmm. snapshot of something, like unless you're writing Homeric epics or something, right. but like right. most poetry, modern poetry is, is shorter and, um, yeah, trying to get the reader to see a very strong image. And so I feel like, I feel like it makes sense to me to sort of let dreams be a, a vehicle for that or, or a impetus. And and see for, I don't know, when it comes to my dreams, like me, I need to become better friends with my subconscious because we are not <laughs> friends. Um, I, I tend to have like, I, I tend to have a lot of nightmares and I tend to have, or a lot of like nonsensical stuff. Well, there's, well, there's like the not make sense. And then there's that, I don't know, for some, like that whole, when you wake up at like 4am and you have like that brilliant idea and you write it down because you don't <laughs> right. want it yeah, to go yeah. away. And then you look in the morning. And then you look in the morning and it's just like tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and I was like, oh, okay. And apparently we were hungry, question mark. This yeah. tacos was my brilliant, brilliant 4 a.m. <laughs> I think you, your point's well taken if you take it literally like that. Yeah. I think part of the, the, the game with your subconscious is to, there's usually a very visceral feeling that comes with it. Nightmares mm -hmm. are going to be scary and you don't right. feel safe. So I'll, I'll put those aside. Although obviously <laughs> there can be great poetry with that. Mm -hmm. But if you can, if you can put the words down and capture the emotion so that you right. can tap back into what that felt like, then that becomes a seed that will morph into something else. But it was the emotional seed and mm -hmm. it could be something really vivid, but it's the vivid emotional experience from what you trolled you know, out of your dreams. There's a, a great um, Picasso documentary I came across a couple years back. And I knew that, uh, and this had to do when writers were talking about editing, you know, how many different times you have to edit. Mm -hmm. And somebody said something like, uh, you know, Picasso doesn't start in the upper right hand corner, upper left hand corner and just paint the picture. <laughs> You know, well, it goes through, <laughs> he goes through a process. And so there was a documentary, it's an old one from the early 1900s. And he's, besides he's a, he's a ham, but <laughs> it was, uh, the, um, image was on this two way device so that they could photograph him from behind where you could see what he was drawing. Mm -hmm. And then they, they do B cuts, you know, to him actually with the, with the, uh, paintbrush. And he would start with one image and it would just morph into something else, which would morph into something else, which would morph into something else. And they were speaking French and very little subtitles. So I didn't know if he was playing with us as the audience, <laughs> like, oh, this is you're going to think it's the, you know, the matador or it's the fish or whatever he started with. Or if that was just the implication was that's his process. He right. starts with some idea, some colors, some whatever, and then the muse shows up 
Um, I, I think there's a quote that's attributed to him that said, inspiration shows up when you show up to do the work. And it felt very much like you were showing, we were experiencing him showing up to do the work and being able to watch him. So trying to not be so prescriptive in documenting the dreams, like I have mm. to capture this exactly. Mm. It's, it's again, trying to mine or cull from that something that kind of sparks the inspiration that then you go off with and you have no idea where it's going to go. That's what I love about freeform and dreaming. <laughs> yeah. You were kind of making me think of, I like how you brought it into art. And one of our questions was how can writers of any kind, right? It doesn't have, you don't have to be a poet to sort of take advantage of this, of this subconscious work that our brains are doing. So mm -hmm. what, what can non-poets do as well? And I think that from, and this is partly tapping into the stroke, what I've learned about brains and minds and consciousness and all of that and neuroplasticity because of all the things I couldn't talk or walk and not as I certainly was not um, as debilitated as many people are and still have, you know, lots of um, PT that they're doing. But I had a glimpse of it. I had a taste. Mm -hmm. um, and so the two of the most important things that the brain does when we sleep, one is it obviously does body repair. Right. You know, it's it, you, you just you just got to have some downtime <laughs> so that all the good things with your body, just let your body be able to repair. But from the brain, there's so much information we get. So at night, it categorizes and it sorts and looks for patterns and um, just gets organized. You know, you go to sleep with a really messy desk with all the things, all the inputs you had for the day, and there's a, a settling that happens. And so for um, writers of any genre um, and people, problem solving wise, if you go to bed, with an intention and not a not a clear cut like you're look you're trying to look for a very specific yes or no answer or something very concrete but setting an intention so as a writer you're working on a scene and you just can't it just isn't connecting the conflict isn't enough or you don't know how you're going to get from a to b you just kind of cue that up before you go to sleep with the expectation that you'll have some insight, may not be the exact answer, but you'll get some, the energy will have shifted some way by you kind of not being the one in control actively. It's like you're passing it off to in engineering in Asia while you go to sleep because they're awake, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right, so yeah. let, your, let, your, let your subconscious work on it. And it can be the same thing with just problem solving. You've got to work, you've got a problem with a relationship or something at work. And it's the same kind of thing where you let your different parts of you kind of use that sleep time, which is not quiet. You're quiet or parts of you are quiet and you just let that percolate. And then you wake up the next morning and invariably there'll be some, I kind of challenge anybody if they're really open to what that intention is to not have something that comes that they didn't think of before or that shifts just a little bit. Naps work too. Doesn't have to be a full, you know, six <laughs> hours sleep. Yeah. 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 My question for that is like, what specifically does that look like? Because I don't know about any of our other listeners or about you, but my brain 
will not stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> are, I'm, are you talking about falling asleep or falling asleep? <laughs> general, in general, but yeah, I'm I'm usually the kind of person that it takes about forty five minutes to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm sitting there trying to, because I've I've heard that before, like set the intention before you go to bed, and then you'll mm-hmm. wake up with the answer. And so I'll try to like set the intention, but it's like a half an hour into my fall asleep, and then my brain goes off on all these other tracks before I actually fall asleep. And then yeah. I don't remember to reset it before I fall asleep. And so, like, but like, is that part of the process? Like, I, letting your brain wander might be part of yeah. the. Well, you set the intention, and then you let it free. Well, and then that's, and I guess that's kind of what I'm asking is what what does it what does that look? I guess for you, and, I assume it looks I, different I, for everyone. Right, and I I agree. I mean, if I've had a night where I've uh, celebrated with some champagne on date night, then I wake up, my sleep isn't as good, and right. I'm not as refreshed in the morning uh, than if I have a you know worked out during the day and, right. and slept really hard. Have you ever had Have you ever had a, a, a something you're working on and then you're taking a shower or you're driving and right, then you yeah. get this pop? Mm-hmm. It's it's the same concept. It's just using sleep where you know it's downtime. So you're trying to you're trying to not think about it actively. You're trying to actively not think about it. And I get that when your brain is going crazy like a dog chasing their tail, then I think it's just acknowledging it's like you don't have to do that, you know. Second shift is going to take care of this and then, you know, your job is to just try to fall asleep. Well, and I've you've made me realize that I think I subconsciously pun intended uh do mm-hmm. this myself i i have this thing where whenever i'm doing a developmental edit i i would often send the because i procrastinate and work to the deadline i would send the edit back and then be like i I still have some thoughts i'm working on i'm going to send them to you after i sleep i I always said that like Mm -hmm. i think i need to sleep on it um Mm -hmm. and i i wouldn't even like i wouldn't even be thinking about it right before i went to bed i just like that would be several hours before bedtime and then i'd wake up the next morning and even sometimes hours later i would go and, and write out the thoughts, but just, I, I knew that something about sleeping on it would mm-hmm. helps me like, like you were saying, make the connections or see the patterns that are missing or whatever. And so, so maybe your brain is still doing it, even if, even if you get <laughs> off track. <laughs> so, so, but while I'm talking about that, I said, I don't necessarily write it down right away when I wake up, but you've sort of said that it can be a good thing to, to write when you first wake up, it can, it can help you know, your writing process or if you're stuck. So why, why should a writer consider writing when they first wake up? For me, and um, this was funny because when I had to write a bio when the chapbook was published, you know, and you talk about your writing project you're doing and then there's something quirky, you've got, you know, people have got dogs or whatever they like to do kind of thing. And this phrase just, I did the bio in the morning and this phrase came out and said, I like to write poetry in the morning before I wake up too much. And it just kind of came <laughs> out and I thought, that's exactly right. I mean, that was so, when I get up in the morning, we'll have coffee, it's quiet, three kids, so they're gone now. So it's quiet household. This would have been very difficult to do, you know, raising three kids, um, unless I got up really, really early. And there is, I talk about writing before my to-do list wakes up, because if I, if you go look at any media, which of course now is so much more than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, obviously, um, is the distractions come in and those quiet things that are percolating up from the night, they get overshadowed. And so if you're trying to tap into something that whether it's you're trying to dream, dream incubate, it doesn't even matter. It's just to give yourself, for me, 
a quiet moment to participate in whatever I'm feeling at the time. And um, during COVID, do you guys know Natalie Goldberg writing down the bones? It, it sounds vaguely familiar. You guys are young. You guys are young. <laughs> um, anyways, I found her, you know, decade after the stroke. When mm-hmm. I started doing this wonderful writing, well, she had an intensive, which she's always done in person, but because of COVID, her fans were telling her, really, you've got to, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. Right. People miss Get you. online. <laughs> yeah. So she did that. She hated, I mean, she talked about hating Zoom. I can't tell you how many times, but um, she did it. It's like, I can't see you out there. I don't, there's no, <laughs> you know, there's no feedback. Um, but she uh, was an eight week intensive. And so it was uh, twice a week. You had three hours with her where we would do writing. And then there would be a midweek, you'd break into small groups Mm -hmm. and there'd be one of, you know, different topics to kind of, you know, um, supplement the stuff that she did during her three hour lectures. And she's Buddhist now. So it was very, uh, it was like, you know, sitting in meditation. She always started out with a three minute or five minute meditation, which I actually do in my writing group too. Um, and she taught me about a priori, a priori writing, which is Latin, I think. And it means before the writing, she likened it to musicians practice scales. So they're not playing whatever song they're practicing scales. And I'm Just sure getting painters, their fingers warmed up. Yeah. Right. Or musicians, you know, working their vocal cords. And so she uh, didn't like the word prompt because she felt it was too restrictive. So she say topic because you could use, but I use prompt because that's, you know, go where people are at. Um, she would pick these prompts and you can use them over and over again. And then you see over time what you, how you interact with that prompt um, over time, which can be enlightening. And so um, she talked about every morning um, doing, uh, I do 10 minutes. She did like do a page or three pages or whatever your container is because of uh, my working with people who've had strokes, fatigue happens in. So we just do, we actually do three minute prompts, but I personally do a 10 minute, which is really now one page. I used to time it. Now I don't time it. And um, she would do things like positive and negative. So she'd do stuff like, what, what, what do I see out my window? And you would just start writing what you see out the window and it would go and morph off to whatever issues that you know, you've been thinking of, it's, it's amazing how that looking out the window will end up with your aunt <laughs> Helen with Thanksgiving dip someplace. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, there are, she also said you, you don't, um, you always keep the hand moving. Her recommendation was longhand if you could, and that no crossing out, no spelling, you know, it's, you shut the editor up and say, you can edit this later, not now. And so, um, because even if you went back to, oh, I didn't, dot that I or cross the T. She said, you're giving that editor, <laughs> and, and, you know, to come back and look at Sneaky it. Editors. And <laughs> yes. So you just keep writing. And so that's for me, writing those things. And I do, I do have the, this doesn't make sense, but see, you're not writing for a project. You're just writing. So that takes the editor down a little bit, but there's still, a, where are you going with this? Are you ever going to be able to do something with this? Um, and you just kind of try to turn the director's cut dial down so that you can just finish it. And then she would tell people to let the entries, she'd say, let the blood dry uh, for two weeks before you come back. Um, what I do is I read it 
at right afterwards because sometimes my writing I can't read it. So I'm just trying to go in and say, you know, if I if it's really scribbled and if I remember, I've got a better chance of remembering what it is right after I write it. But then I'll let a whole notebook go, you know, before I come back and look at it again. And it's amazing what the tidbits that come out and if I'm working on my newsletter and I'm trying to look at some angles, it percolates in there. And then I'll go back while I'm working on it and be able to see, oh, yeah, I can, I can take that chunk and edit it some, but that'll be part of, that's exactly what I was looking for, you know, as a puzzle piece. So I just think there's, there's a very special time before you wake up. And like I said, your to-do list takes over your life that if you're able to give yourself permission and take the luxury to give yourself the gift of trying to write. Well, I think that principle could apply even if you have to write like later in the day or something, but just, um, like the, the being able to shift your brain. And I really like what you were saying about, about doing a warm up. And I don't, I don't think I've ever thought about doing that when I'm writing creatively, but yeah, doing some kind of get your fingers in. I just had to write, um, the acknowledgments for our anthology and, and I was feeling stuck on it. So what I did was I took our previous two anthologies and just typed up the acknowledgments that someone else had written and then, and then sort of used that as, as my springboard. But yeah, so I, I needed some kind of warm up to get into it and, and you could do that, you know, early in the morning or if you have, if you can't do that schedule wise and you need to write or you're a night owl or whatever, um, do some kind of warm up like that. And I do use it if I get stuck on a project, I'll just come up with some prompt, you know, some word. It's like, why, why did you want to do this in the first place or whatever? And again, because I'm so used to having that morning where there doesn't have to be, this isn't going to necessarily make it anywhere. It's just a conversation. It just lets me tap in to a part of me to have that conversation that sometimes reveals something that's really helpful. I think unfortunately we're out of time. This has been a fun discussion, but yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us and getting us to think about our subconscious. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Do we have a question for our listeners? Question for our listeners. How often do you dream and how often do you write about it? And just because I'm curious, what's a fun dream you've had lately? I, I always like to share my dreams with people. And maybe you can use that to write with later. Stay sharp, my friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Writing Forge, a Writing Heights podcast brought to you by Nicano Press, post-production by Luke William Productions. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.